Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 30, The Masters. Wow. Wow. Hello, Big Chillites, and welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. It's a pretty historic weekend for sports. We had the first female jockey to win the Grand National, the first Japanese golfer to win a major, and the Don't Bothers got their first goal in the 12 to 14 Minnesota Pee Wee Championship Division. So overall, pretty historic for sports. Eddie, Sam, what are you guys? What are you guys feeling from this weekend? Uh, I mean, I've yet to recover from the shock of the don't bothers scoring a goal, but uh, no, it was a it was a good weekend of sport. Also, for the like the sports that are lower down, usually on my radar. I mean, I love horse racing and I enjoy golf, but normally they aren't kind of front and center in my weekend sporting viewing. Whereas football wasn't particularly interesting this weekend. Obviously, March Madness was over, so they were prime time viewing for me. I guess I should have spoiler alerted for the for the mighty ducks game changers yeah but yeah, we true. we assume that everyone is as as on top of the mighty ducks game changers as us oh this is so the, thrilling the, the second the episode drops on my disney plus i get an alert <laughs> i don't care if i'm in the middle of a meeting whatever i'm doing i just switch it on i don't want to be i don't want to be a millisecond behind anyone else you my disney plus just run into spoilers. It. <laughs> it's hard to avoid them the other day on friday you know the, I was lucky because I thought I might get some spoilers, but the Duke of Edinburgh's death came along and, and all the all the time the BBC and CNN had just dedicated to the Don't Bother's recent results had to be shifted until until Saturday and Sunday. So that was that was a lucky one. On the lighter side of news. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So Sam, how's that how's that hit you? How, how have you been impacted from that? Not at all. <laughs> just gonna be honest it it was a tough thing for me to watch so it was tougher to watch or continue to watch again but that rachel blackmore train just keeps going doesn't it i think so, i thought he was he's talking about wait the what are you talking about death. oh i thought yeah, you were talking, talking about the, the, I thought you talking about mighty ducks i think no. you're talking about mighty ducks no Duke of Edinburgh. yeah no it can only hit you so much as being surprised that a 99 year old man passes away like it especially when that he, looked so healthy He's he's looked. He's basically call looked him it. dead. <laughs> what? He's, no, I said one who, one oh. especially one who looks so healthy. <laughs> it's yeah. You you can't be surprised by it. It's uh, it's a ninety nine year old man who's who's been on like an inch away from death for like the last what decade maybe. Even that longer, might be a, I would that say. Maybe a little bit harsh, but it has for the last six months been clear that he was nearing the end. Now, and has, was he was he like hospitalized for like the past? Six he had months? been previously. Yes. He'd been hospitalized, then he was released, and then he died. Yeah, so he had like an infection or something. Yeah, I mean, as as Sam said, he was nineteen. It's sad. Obviously, anyone dying is sad. Not that it sort of made me sad, but <laughs> the you know, like obviously, <laughs> sad for everyone who knew him. And and uh, but uh, I thought it was a touching tribute by uh, Prince Harry. This is when I really got emotional when I heard Prince Harry say uh, his grandfather was a man of service, honor, and great humor, and then went on to say he was also the master of the barbecue 
and Legend of the Banter. I mean, what a <laughs> what <laughs> Legend of the Banter. What uh, what I think a he's fitting just trying tribute. to be like personal. I'm, Let's be honest, though, that banter what from a ninety-nine-year-old man is not going to be politically correct. <laughs> no, that doesn't way. matter. It's just imagine a relative of yours dying, and then even more so, a relative who is a public figure who who has held a an important public office in some respects. Who then says you're just describing him as legend of? I mean, he's one step away from being like, oh, Bantasaurus Rex, (laughs) (laughs) the Archbishop of Banterbury. Yeah, come on. It's it's a character trait that is so out of whack with him as well. You just can't see it. And no, but maybe Sam, that's because you didn't know him. And because he knew him personally, that's what well, he's kind of getting at is that he knew him on it, a more personal it, level. It just, and it he just knew depends, these traits. really. It depends because I know some of the stuff he said about people before, sometimes people of color as well. So uh, one of the great examples I know is when he met, I think it was maybe the first lady of Nigeria or something like that and commenting on her national uh, attire he said it looks like you you're ready for bed <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> and the thing is i'm not i think it's nice to try and add a personal touch to the tribute that you pay because obviously he is more than just the duke of edinburgh and the kind of public figure that we all saw yeah. so the barbecue thing or whatever that's nice it adds you know kind of gives you a little insight into the role he might have played in the family life to me, it's specifically the usage of the word banter. That's, and it's nothing to do with his occasional off-color remarks. It's just, it's such a lad remark. You know, like... Maybe, maybe I just don't feel banter the way that an English person would feel banter. Yeah, it's just the, t- the type of person who tends to say banter is usually a lad. Okay. The in-betweeners. Yeah. If you've seen like that is what the personification is. It's like it's yeah, it's completely out of place. It's a weird, it's a weird remark as well. I I think it's weird. I think it's weird with Harry coming back as well. It this just comes across as it doesn't bad have a for him. He doesn't have I know a he doesn't His have a choice. Died. I know, I mean, but it just you, it just you mean Harry, across. just local resident of Los Angeles. <laughs> I exactly I, it's just, I just find it a bit strange. There was almost this feeling that like, A, Megan was never going to come because obviously she's pregnant. But um, it just came across that. Plus her skin tone would have ruined the photo. <laughs> I'm just going to allow that one. That's fine. <laughs> Good. Well, can't wait till Frank well, asks see, me to see, Frank asks see, me to see, He's a legend of banter. That's a yeah. legend of banter right there. I was gonna, exactly. Well, I was going to say, maybe the person who would provide the banter on that is no longer there. So True. He would have lightened the mood. <laughs> Some light-hearted racial comments. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, but I will say, speaking of fitting tributes, I don't know if you saw the big news out of Hollywood today, though. Which is, uh, uh, they're going to be making a movie. A Netflix movie about the oh, sorry about, took it from me. Yeah, about the uh, 
the New Orleans Saints and in 2012 when Sean Payton was suspended after the uh, Bounty Gate allegations. And uh, I, I, I guess this means Frank Saul, who will be playing Sean Payton. But Sam, I'm guessing you haven't seen anything about this. No, no, no. Enlighten me. This sounds interesting. Who do you think is going to be playing Sean Payton in this Netflix movie? I'll give you some clues. It is a famous actor, been in some reasonably famous movies, but it's probably most famous for a TV show, a sitcom that was extremely popular and on television, say, when we were in university, we're at university. And, and Eddie will say famous actor, but he's not famous for his acting skills very much. <laughs> I, I mean, not this gonna is, help very much. This is like this is like the worst question to ask me. Like, I just don't know. Like, I'm terrible <laughs> with actors, actresses, films. It's just it's almost pointless asking me questions that are like I love how you, you panic this as if it's not who wants to be a millionaire. There's nothing on the line here, Sam. You're just <laughs> trying to you just had to th- you could have just said Denzel Washington and we would have moved yeah, on. Yeah, but it's clearly not Denzel Washington. <laughs> oh, so you do know something about actors. Oh, good one. I know that specific extreme area that you've marked. Yeah. For, for all our new listeners who might not know that Sam has, Sam, what did you call it when you can't decide on what TV show to watch? You oh, get paralysis. Decision, decision, decision paralysis. TV paralysis. This kind of leads into it. We ask you the question and you're instantly like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like know. No, but I, I can't you... even, like, I honestly can't even start to But you panic. It's as, if, it's as if look. I've got a gun to your mother's head and I'm like, tell me who it is, Sam, or she's dead. Well, take away the gun and I might try. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I don't even know where to start with Sean Payton. Right. I'll tell you, I'll tell you where to start because I'll tell you the answer to put you and our listeners out of their misery. The correct answer is Kevin James. So the sitcom I was alluding to was King of Queens. He also maybe know some may know him better as Paul Blart, Mall Cop, Mall Cop, uh, and starring in what Grown Ups with Adam Sandler and stuff. You know, pretty pretty quite famous. A, uh, no, Hitch, quite, quite a heavy set guy, isn't he? So he has lost some weight, but what? it has to be said, <laughs> if you're Sean Payton. It is not the most flattering choice. Like Sean Payton, I don't think has ever been someone who you describe as being like overweight. Like he's just like a normal, pretty in shape, middle-aged man. So to choose Kevin James to play him is a real, it's the final bit of punishment, I guess, for Bounty Gate. Unless he's going on (laughs) some sort of like full on, unless he's going on some sort of like full on Christian Bale style mass. The the machinist or whatever when he... Yeah, or like, you know, when he just completely under overnourishes himself, basically, for a role. So that's the other thing that, to me, is a little strange, is Kevin James is playing it, and it's a Happy Madison production. So it's obviously going to be a comedy. And that is the other part that I doesn't connect with Sean Payton for me, is that not that Sean Payton might not just be like a carefree, has a decent personality, but Kevin James in particular has his comedy to me is more like, oops, I ran into a wall. <laughs> I'm very so sla- dumb and big. It's, it's very slapsticky. Slapsticky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like a slapstick comedian. And I don't see that part of the Sean Payton. Like I could see maybe Sean Payton is a little like dry humorish, maybe, 
but I don't see Sean Payton like going to coach his son's sixth grade football team and like flipping on the football like a <laughs> banana peel. You know, like I don't think that happens. True. No, he does seem he does seem to have a sense of humor. I guess the other I didn't realize that it was a Happy Madison production. So if it is a comedy, the other question I have there is they're dealing with the year he was suspended. He was suspended for a very unfunny reason. You know, like it, he was suspended for encouraging players to intentionally go out and injure other people. He's basically the shaved like seven years off Brett Favre's life in the process. And now, and now they've been like, let's turn it into a comedy. I mean, I assume they avoid that part of it. And it's more just the head NFL football coach going to teach or going to coach sixth grade football team. And then because there's the most famous story about that is they were really good, but then they went up against a team that ran like a really weird offense, like a like like a single wing or wing T or something like that offense, and they got demolished by this team. So Peyton then took the game film and sent it to Bill Parcells and had Bill Parcells like come up with a scheme to stop their offense because he thought they would replay them and they did replay them or something like that. And then I think they still actually lost to them, but it was closer. So like, I, you can see some of the, it's not like straight up again, it's not Kevin James, like comedy to me. It's more just like, you know, just like humorous in the fact of like the situation, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll watch it. So, but, and I assume Sean Payton must've okayed this. Like he yeah, he read have. the script and made like some changes, supposedly. Was one of the changes, please don't have like I only have one note. Please do not have Kevin James play me. And they're like, sorry. <laughs> sorry too late. No problem. Well, <laughs> now now here's here's a pretty good question. If it's a happy Madison production, you have a limited amount of people to choose from because he uses like the same people in his movies. Is who instead one? do you go with? What kind of movies are they? They're like kind of if it's like Kevin James, they're like Adam Sandler style movies as well. Or yeah, I don't know who Happy, Happy Madison are. So Happy That's Madison Adam is Sandler's Adam Sandler's production, production company. A so all like the it's a, it's it's a real riddle, Sam. But it's a combination of Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison. <laughs> oh, I get it. Okay, yeah, okay. there you go. Smart, yeah. smart. Why would you give it to him? So, like, it just so, so some of the place. movies are like Little Nicky, Mr. Deeds, Benchwarmers, Chuck and Larry, Don't Mess with the Zohan, Grown Ups, Grown Ups 2. Um, just movies with Adam Sandler in them. There is not like, not it's, 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 yeah, but it's not like, yeah, it's he didn't like <laughs> the animal hot chick, right? But Larson. Right. But the point is, they're Adam Sandler movies. He hasn't sort of secretly been yeah, the production yeah. company behind Schindler's List. Like the no no he's, but I'm just oh, saying, like, be a, that would movies. be a that would be fantastic yeah would it a <laughs> uh, comedic twist <laughs> like a Schindler shit like uh, Oscar Schindler is suddenly just like a goofy guy who slips all over the place but his like hijinks stop the Nazis from killing a bunch of Jews in the process just a bunch of shenanigans like a very like casual Home Alone or something like that when they're trying to break out. <laughs> But it is yep. true that when you think of the people who regularly appear, there are more reputable actors in there. That you, so you could have someone who you'd feel was like a legitimately good actor playing you, but they're not the best looking group of people. So I think maybe the guy who played um, 
is it Bucky Larson? Is that the one? I, I don't know if that's him or not. Yeah, Nick uh, Swartzen. I think Swartzen. he kind of could look like him. David Spade. His... David Spade kind of looks like him, but David Spade's tiny. Like, and Sean Payton's not a gigantic man, but they would have to. But like David Spade looks more like Sean Payton than Kevin James does. Yeah. What do you think the, I'm not going to bother asking because there's so many random movies. The highest rated Rotten Tomatoes is Funny People. And that was the one with Seth Rogen, right? And Funny um, People, was, it was an okay movie. That's not bad. Yeah, 69% in Rotten Tomatoes. That's their best one, Happy Madison. Which is I awesome. don't understand Seth Rogen. I don't, I don't see him. I, I don't think I've ever laughed at something that <laughs> Seth Rogen Super said. bad? Super bad? He's in super. Not really a Seth Rogen's parts. I just wow. don't think he's funny. <laughs> I like the idea that Sam is like laughing and then Seth Rogen just appears on screen <laughs> and, and I just, just suddenly dead. instantly just dead deadpan. Um, yeah, he he just strikes me as one of those people that says funny things but somehow aren't. I I just don't get him. This is you the end. Did not this do well. Pretty, in this is tomatoes. the end. Is pretty funny. I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. That did not get, get good reception, uh, critical acclaim. That's not surprising. I mean, Adam Sandler movies aren't going to get good critical receptions anyway, and that's not a knock necessarily on Adam. Like, that's the thing that actually bothers me when people try and review Adam Sandler movies. It's like Adam Sandler is doing what Adam Sandler does, and there's a huge like, population out there that loves it. He's not trying to make critically acclaimed movies. So, like, as he, some of them are terrible. But oftentimes people are like, oh, like, what a terror. Like, this is, this is not, a it's like, it's exactly what you should have expected it to be. He delivered on his promise of yet another Adam Sandler experience. If you don't like that, you can just stop watching them from now until you die. And you're not going to, he's not going to, I guess, um, Uncut Gems was his twist, but. Never saw it. What was it about? He was, uh, he's a, it was, he's it was like, like a, did you ever see he, Blood Diamond? It was like the sequel to Blood Diamond where they were yeah. getting these gems, but they were uncut and he had to find a way to cut them. He's, he's a, <laughs> wow. He's Do a, you write the blurbs for the films? <laughs> he, he's a jeweler in New York and he also has like a gambling problem and he puts on this incredibly unrealistic, hyper-specific bet, which is on like Kevin Garnett's like number of points, rebounds and something plus the spread, like a bet you would just never be able to press to, uh, to put on anywhere and then uh i think he i can't even, he loses the bet and then he has to pay them back and he has these like rare gems that have been delivered i won't spoil the the movie but that's the kind of basic premise he's a jeweler who desperately needs money and he has access to these incredibly rare gems and kevin garnett is also in it i'm gonna be high up the list no that's one you probably won't suffer from that selection paralysis with but uh, awesome awesome yeah. <laughs> it's good because obviously one more would just make me scream and panic well hopefully just no one asks you a question between now and when you go to sleep because that might really just throw you totally off it's easy to set me off about things i don't know about so so speaking of adam sandler it's a good segue into the masters uh for those who didn't see will zalatoris got second and 
one of the lookalikes of who Will Zalatoris is was the caddy in Happy Gilmore. Yeah. <laughs> so far that Adam Sandler even posted a tweet that said, have fun today, young man. Mr. Gilmore is watching you and very proud, which I then give credit. Zalatoris then retweeted and said, if you're ever in need of a caddy again, let me know. I'll be better this time. I'm always available. <laughs> so yeah. that was pretty good that he actually responded. Yeah. And the other comparison is Owen Wilson, which he's been compared to in the past. And he can do like a pretty decent wow, like Owen Wilson. Uh, wow. Wow. That wasn't, wow. That wasn't bad. Wow. Um, but uh, yeah, he obviously embraces the compare. He's an odd looking dude. So he has to accept that fact. I don't think he actually looks that much like the, the uh, caddy in Happy Gilmore, but... Just in that picture that he posted, he does because his hair is like pushed back like the caddy was. But the the Owen Wilson one, I totally get. He does look a little bit like Owen Wilson with an eating disorder. Yeah, I, I told Eddie he looked like Matthew McConaughey from Dallas Buyers Club. <laughs> but not to not to body shame him in any way. Uh, but yeah, obviously well, that was story- what was funny is they were doing that on the CBS broadcast. They had a few jokes about his weight on the on the the network and i was kind of surprised that they allowed it golf i will say in golf they still make quite uh harsh jokes occasionally about the golfers like either being overweight like patrick reed and and other people still get like fat jokes made by the commentators and they'll do the slow-mo and they'll be like oh look like you know like they'll really (laughs) judge them a little bit yeah but I think they did it once about Westwood, didn't they? When I was like, oh, it's tougher for him walking around the fairways these days. Like it was like a few years ago. And it's like, wow. Before he got jacked. <laughs> wow. Now that he's, now that he's yeah, in very he good shape. Wow. <laughs> I like the Lee Westwood. The only thing I give Lee Westwood credit is the fact that he has his wife as his caddy. And I don't understand why if you're a professional golfer, you just wouldn't have like a friend or a relative as your caddy um, all the time. To me, it just makes so much more sense. Make it fun. Like, because surely if you've, if you've got a guy for a specific reason of being a caddy, then it's all business. Whereas if you've got someone else that you know, I imagine it makes it a bit more like lighthearted and a bit more fun with it, maybe. Yeah. I mean, the most thing I would want, I think, is someone who could just help me to relax. First and foremost, I think that's really all I'd want from my caddy. I think if you've got to that level as a golfer, you should hopefully be able to read greens pretty well. And you should know, you'd be able to judge your distances and know which club you should select. And I know someone will come in and say that a really good, and give examples of a really good caddy, caddy helping to get a golfer over the line. But like, I think I could pick up the bags tomorrow and caddy for, you know, Rory McElroy, and he'd still shoot seven over par. <laughs> well, you could caddy for Xander Schofle and, and let him get a triple bogey and a double bogey and cost himself the Masters. Yeah, but yeah, the, I guess the big, obviously the big takeaway from the Masters was Matsuyama becoming the first Japanese player to win a golfing major, which both surprised me and didn't surprise me. At the, you know, like one of those things I'd never really thought about. Um, and then I kind of tried to think in my head, it seems like well, there are a lot of first, my first thought was like, there's a lot of Asian golfers. So then it surprises yeah. me that there have been no Japanese winners. And then I tried to think of other major Japanese golfers and really couldn't come up with a very good list. 
So then it made sense to me that they've never won a major. Um, the thing that really surprised me afterwards, he doesn't seem to really speak any English. Yeah, that surprised me too. And I, and I don't mean this in any sort of racist way, but it was kind of strange seeing an athlete need a translator. I feel like that's something I haven't seen in a very long time. I don't know if oh, I see you it. guys. I see it all the time. Really? Yeah. Well, because of Europe. I mean, Europe is so like yeah, okay, close okay, to each other that they play. But and I, also, even in the US, you see Japanese baseball players and stuff have translators <sighs> a lot. Uh, famous, famous ones? Yes. Some people see it as a very identity-led thing, though, right? They don't have, you ever, just... have you ever heard Ichiro speak English? That's true. Ichiro might be one of the only ones. Like, I don't think, I don't think any of the Japanese baseball players really, uh, I think they all use, don't you remember when that Seattle Mariners, it wasn't the president of Seattle Mariners? Yeah, but but again, like that's, that's not a super famous player. Right. But I mean, it's all relative. We're talking about baseball players now that we're we're in the same, like we're narrowing down the meaning of famous. So this would be someone who wins like a big award. Like he won the Masters. So compare this to someone who wins, I don't know, like the, MVP award I, or something like that. I legitimately think I legitimately think every Japanese baseball player uses a translator. Now the question might be how good is their English? Because part of it might be just like, yeah, conversational English is good, but you don't want to put your foot in and I don't want to judge Matsuyama because maybe he speaks good English, but you're like, this is my the biggest moment of my career, and I don't want to suddenly say the wrong thing or oh, no, no, I don't a question. I don't have an issue with them needing a translator at all. I'm just Frank, saying, I, I, Frank, I don't see implying this much. that you, you keep saying <laughs> yeah. not a racist. It's okay, thing. Frank. Like, it's okay, like, Frank. No, no, <laughs> but you, you're saying that, like you just said that you're you're not trying to say like how much or how little he knows. No, I'm English. just saying I don't know how good his English is, but but the fact that he he very much seemed to need to listen to the trans because sometimes you'll see athletes and the translator they hear the question but they've understood the question. Like the translator then says it, but they've already understood the translators now at this point yeah. kind of, and it, the translator is in only useful when they then speak in their own language and they put it back into the language like everyone else is speaking. Matsuyama did not seem to understand the questions coming at him. Like he was very much just sitting there staring and then waiting for the translator, translator to speak Japanese and then engaging. And it just, it only surprises me because even though it's his first major, he's been like a fairly prominent player on tour for quite a long time. It's not like he's just come out of nowhere. And I would have just thought out of necessity, you would have learned to speak pretty good English. I would say in golf, it's probably not necessary though. It's a very lonesome game. You have a single caddy for the majority of it. Any sort of communications can be done in English by like a English speaking secretary or PA or something like that. Like, I feel like golf is probably one of the sports where you wouldn't need, where language barrier would be as much of a problem. But you're traveling around all the time with like the same groups of people. You'd think you'd want to be able to, and again, maybe his English is better than I think, you know, like, so maybe when he is traveling around and they have a beer or just talk about golf, maybe he is comfortable at that moment just speaking English. But like, you just think that so much... Like you're just fly, you're staying in the same hotels as these guys or sharing this. I mean, a lot of them split like private jets and stuff, right? Like whatever it is, there are going to be moments when you're talking to them. And then if you really spoke no English, you'd just be there be like, 
yeah good shot good shot this is this is a good shot you know yeah. um you know it's going to be so much fun next year when he hosts the dinner and the menus in japanese <laughs> i did think of that regardless of the menu that's going to be a good dinner if he does like really nice sushi or like oh, yeah. whatever that's a meal you'd want to have compared to i hope it's pork. like traditional japanese it's like all raw like fish and no one is like wants to eat it and stuff <laughs> man frank i think frank's racist i think frank really I, hates japanese yeah, people yeah. i mean just say no, it, frank just say why didn't he speak english in my country just say it no because tiger woods did sushi, and if you're gonna right? serve like, and tiger if you're woods gonna serve like fish, fish it better be cooked <laughs> That'd be cool to California roll. Exactly. Like when Tiger Woods did it, he did sushi, but it was like really generic California shrimp tempura roll. Like if he has real sashimi and things like that. Obviously, I, there, there would be some more local delicacies that might challenge the average golfer's palate. But I think most of them will be happy to have any any version of sushi or sashimi or whatever. I would be over the moon compared to that garbage that Dustin Johnson put on this year. Like that would be, that's a was major that cor- improvement. Corn dogs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was like toad in a hole to start or something strange like that. No, he did the, what on earth are you two talking about? Am I the only one here who has a memory? No, he did. He did the hot dog stuffed in a pickle, corn dog fried and panko. What on earth is going on? What? Oh my god! Wow! Talk about COVID tests. Might have to invest wow. in some like CTE, Alzheimer's, dementia tests for the two of you. That way. <laughs> hey, it makes for a more unpredictable podcast. <laughs> True. Yeah. But no. Good win. And- Interesting seeing some players at the top drop off, but. The ones we picked never really got going, right? Casey had a pretty good showing. You know, Rahm typically, as always, is a nearly, a nearly again in terms of a master's search, but we didn't really get close with our picks. No. I mean, yeah, we had a few people who had good first day. We were looking all right. Sun JM had a pretty good first round. Um, but yeah, no. A lot of the major players didn't really feature. So it was a little bit of an unexpected top five, I guess, with the exception of Spieth, really. Um, So can't hold it against us for not... I mean, did better on the Bill Simmons podcast that I listened to. He wanted to pick Matsuyama. I'll give him credit. But then the guy who he was with was like, no way Matsuyama wins. Don't even... even." (laughs) (laughs) So that's worse than picking someone who doesn't feature. Yeah, that's way worse. I, I mean, the only thing, I, the only takeaway I really had was I think Zalatoris will be beating himself up at the end of the day. Although, because he he had a good final round, but he missed, I can remember at least two putts. And I think there was actually a third or a fourth under six feet that he holds those, he wins the Masters. And, and one was just like a straight, a straight birdie putt. I think it was on nine or 10 it was at the same time that Matsuyama had a really tough two putt he needed to par and Matsuyama got his par with a really nice lag and then Zalatoris missed like the six footer for birdie so it was a it went from a potential two stroke swing to literally nothing yeah I will say I think people are being a little bit 
harsh on Matsuyama in that saying other people really had a chance to win. I think Matsuyama just played golf with a lead. Like, I think if someone else had suddenly leveled things, he would have changed the way he'd played and suddenly been like, now he played the back nine knowing basically yeah. if, if I'm even par for the next nine holes, I've won the Masters. Whereas no, everyone... So I do think when it'd be like, he could have won... A, a, like a lot of what I've read afterwards is like, oh, it could have been close if this, this, and that. It's like, but Matsuyama would have played differently. Like he was hitting approach shots, just thinking if I can, I'll just be conservative, pin high, 10 feet away. If I two putt, it's okay. Like, you know, everything would have changed then. Yeah, no, that's true. I, I mean, he's in the final grouping, so he's going to see the leaderboard at all times. So if Zalatoris put up a 10, 11 under, he knows what he needs to get. But no, nice to have a new name on, I guess. Um, be interesting to see. Continue. The one trend we did identify, right, is that when we did our little Masters preview was the fact that the Masters has turned up a lot of first-time major winners. So at least in that fact, and that those players have also been ranked in the top 50. So Matsuyama met that criteria. We just failed to identify him. Yeah, we just didn't pick him out of the couple of hundred. Well, 50. Well, out of 50. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Sam, are you listening to our podcast? And, right and now? actually, actually, <laughs> not even 50 because it's first time major winners in the 50. So you'd actually would have narrowed it down to like probably 30. Four. I was. Uh, <laughs> Turns out was it was about four. <laughs> Zalatoris and Matsuyama were two of the four. <laughs> and then, yeah, as you mentioned, another first time winner. Wow. Both. Personally, for her, first-time winner of the Grand National, uh, Rachel Blackmore, and also the first woman to ever win the Grand National, which is, uh, again, in some respects, a little bit surprising, I suppose, because there have been some very good female jockeys for a while, um, but a really nice story. Um, I think she's... I did like her quote. I don't know if you've... I mean, I guess you will have seen it immediately when she was interviewed, but they asked her about it, and I thought... And she said, I don't feel... I don't feel like a woman. I'm going to kind of get the order of this wrong, but she was like, I don't feel like a woman. I don't feel like a man. I don't even feel like a human right now. I thought that was like a very nice way of summing up just the emotion of having basically achieved the, the kind of pinnacle in her field. I mean, that is the one that they would have yeah. all wanted. So. Yeah. And coupled with the Cheltenham run as yes. well, that to Bromhead Blackmore, it's becoming so good. And also it's just like, it's, it's her humbleness, I think as well. She just, don't get me wrong. Not, not many jockeys are known for their eccentricity, especially in jumps, but um, it, she just goes about her business. She just does a very good job. She's got a very good winning combination now and she just keeps winning. And um, she, she mentioned, she was talking about the AP McCoy story a lot. And I, I really like that where she was talking about how, you know, she used to get on when they did point to point racing and pony racing, you know, the only thing she ever thought about was like being AP McCoy, like racing at the national racing at Cheltenham and all that. And now she can almost flip it. Now she's got to that point, you know, the girls of her time can now look up to someone that's done it as a female jockey as well. And it's really something to be commended as well, like, cause of the way they've normalized male and female. Uh, I want to take it as, as well. I, I want to take it a step further, though, because what I think is significant about Rachel Blackmore winning, yes, it's inspirational for women, 
but in a sport in which is rare, right? A sport that allows genders to compete against each other. The fact is she gets to take place and not that this can't happen, not that there can't be like little boys out there inspired by Serena Williams, but anyone like can be inspired to be Rachel Blackmore because she is potentially the best jockey of her generation or certainly of the moment. And I think that's the sig. to me, that's of greater significance almost is it not only are you just, you know, there've been female jockeys around inspiring other female jockeys for a long time, but now you're talking about a female jockey who takes a role of just inspiring any young jockey. And to me, that's the thing that's kind of significant about where she's got to now. Um, but I do agree with you. She's incredibly humble, as is Henry de Bromhead, the trainer. I think they both come across as a very well and as very likable. I enjoyed Henry de Bromhead's interview immediately after winning as a stream of people just tried to congratulate him while ITV was trying to interview him. And he was just consistently turning around and just saying, thanks a million, thanks a million, thanks a million to every person who walked by. Um, but they both come across. And given the like six weeks that they've both just had, they are both very humble about what they've achieved. I think you're absolutely right with anyone can look up to her because the thing that she's been praised about so much in these past few months is just how technically sound her racing has been and how she's putting herself in like these perfect positions, every race, you know, against the rail, right where she needs to be. You know, she, she's doing all the right things of just being a great jockey, you know, whether again, she's male, female, whatever, she's just the top jockey right now from a technical standpoint. And you can take that against other people. You know, like we always talk about Ryan Moore, like, yeah, Ryan Moore is a great jockey, but Ryan Moore is also getting, the greatest horses every time. And sometimes he's just winning because that horse is phenomenal and it's not, has nothing to do with his, his technical ride. Whereas a majority of her wins in these past few months have just been really like, like masterclasses and how, like how to race the grand national. That was exactly how you do it. Like where she fit her horse in just stuck in, she was prominent right against the rail and, and just rated like a perfect race, you know? So it's, yeah, which is, it's, it's impressive. Which, which is why some of us, or at least one of us, you know, did tip her to win the Grand National. But uh, no, I do agree with you. She, and that's the thing, all you can ask for in a sense from the Grand National is that you put your horse in the best possible position to win. You need an element of luck because I think the unlucky loser in a sense in the Grand National was any second now who was incredibly badly hampered. At, I think it was the 10th when there was a faller immediately in front and it lost, I don't know, 10 to 15 lengths. Completely just, stopped. Yeah, just from coming <laughs> yeah, to a complete halt. Stopped. And then picked up so well towards the end in another world, any second now certainly would have run a race to have pushed the finish very close, um, but may well have won without that interference. And that's not the jockey's fault in any way. That's just pure luck that you don't have a horse fall directly in front of you at any point. Um, So, but yeah, she, she did everything within her control to put that horse in a position to win. And, and it did. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a good tip. It was a solid bet and um, quite interesting. It was interesting though, that, you know, what I was saying about that horse sometimes coming from behind and going up against a horse, maybe it doesn't put his neck up, but it was interesting to see how well it stayed on at the, um, through the running, because there was a couple of moments where you thought horses were chasing it down 
and there was like a slight concern there but truth be told ran perfectly ran the rails well I don't I mean obviously it's hard to see every single jump within the Grand National but certain people you track don't think I saw a single bad one there's a couple of surprises though cloth cap uh, cloth cap kind of uh, pulled up really quick and sudden I don't think okay, it was it was response, but it was like tanking along like midway through the race, you thought, "Oh wow, cloth caps! He's got himself in the one perfect was a great price. Got himself yeah. in the per- perfect position. Seems to be so well placed. It now just it's right up front, but hasn't had to lead the way the entire time. It's now just got a clear run, and then it hit a wall in the space of sort of what must have been three hundred yards. Went from being first to being pulled up without anything. It had one bad jump." where it lost a lot of momentum. But I almost feel that was just a case of you're only racing cloth cap there to win. And I think the jockey has fundamentally worked out fairly quickly. Not going to win. Let's just call it a day. Yeah, there's other races left. I mean, for the next, what, three weeks or so, we still got the Bet365 Gold Cup. The Scottish Grand National is a potential as well. So maybe, maybe they just thought, yeah, if it's not winning the Grand National, put it somewhere else. So yeah, it's kind of a fair thought. but. Um, how about Black Lion? <laughs> oh, yeah. That to try was and get... a nice, nice run. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, all, all of our tips. Or far Yeah, class. all of our tips. It's, yeah, all of our far tips class. did well. Watch for the future. Maybe. I mean, all of our tips did well. We, we, you know, we had the winner and two horses place. And in the Grand National, you, you can't complain about that. Like, there's no. Just finishing is impressive. <laughs> Like, yeah, not bad. Yeah. How actually how many did finish? I didn't even look at that. I would have said maybe half the field. I felt like actually quite a lot fell or with or were pulled up. They yeah, it th- and it thinned out over the space of around s- five yeah, or six fences. Out. It 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 really, really thinned out quickly. I also kind of enjoyed the jet, the horse that went out and just yeah. like went for it. That's like it's kind of fun to watch in a race like that. Where you you know you have that thought of uh oh is it is it going to drop back it isn't and what's impressive is it actually finished up I think in eighth like it, yeah. it didn't fall all the way to the back it kind of hung in there a little bit which is pretty impressive it was up twenty lengths at a point <laughs> no there was a moment where you kind of legitimately thought it might have stolen a run here and might have a lead that is now difficult to close down a la uh, serpentine <laughs> yes there was a there was just a moment thinking there okay if it's got stamina and as it turned out it didn't have quite enough stamina and, and got swallowed up like rapidly at one moment but uh but yeah Whaley no, cohen's I, a good jockey Whaley cohen's a good amateur booking and he 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 jumped the horse well so um yeah it was a little bit odd seeing it go through but uh it was a good race um it's always fun always gets the goosebumps going so uh it's good to see it out. Obviously, we missed it last year. So hopefully we'll get crowds back next year. It's definitely something on my bucket list. I don't know about you two for like the horse racing world, but the Grand National no, is I probably never go. the highest. I'd, I'd say I've it's the zero, highest race I want to go see. I've got zero Eddie's, interest. Eddie's going to say there's too many, too many people in Peaky Blinders hats for That's him. That's true. That's true. That would <laughs> be the one. That's, that's the one <laughs> negative. But yeah, I'd put... I'd put I'd put Aintree at the top of my horse racing bucket list of things I haven't seen that I'd want to. I'm not sure I'd put it top just because although as a race in some respects it is top. Um, I think because at least I've gone to plenty of racing in the UK 
if I had to pick something on my bucket list, I'd probably pick something that A, I'm less likely to actually go to and B, that is a totally different experience to what I may have already had. So I'd probably rather choose like the Melbourne Cup or something in Dubai or something in Hong Kong that like really did give me a different experience of racing. But I, I do get where you're coming from. The race itself is kind of the one missing from stuff that I've attended that is I'd really want to go to. But I'd rather get a taste of something different if I had like a bucket list experience. You could go to some point-to-point racing at Baden-Baden or something like that. Maybe. It would be different. <laughs> I would like to do Melbourne Cup because then you also get the added benefit of going to Australia, which is true. kind of like I'm a half good. a bucket list on its own. <laughs> yeah. Aintree itself, not a particularly exciting destination. I get to go to Liverpool. (laughs) Actually, only 15 horses completed the Grand National this year. Okay. So, yeah. Pretty low. Yep. Now, Frank, you can get really excited because we do have the chance to have football referee corner come back to life now because there was another... I knew knew it was coming back, so don't worry. (laughs) So just, uh, do you want to take a nap or whatever it is you usually do? sit back, relax. No, (laughs) I'm I'm actually slightly interested in this one. This one is a little bit more interesting than offside, let's just say. Because I have questions. Yeah, it's way more interesting than the offside. Anything is more interesting than the offside rule. But there's a lot of angles on this one, so I, I am interested. So for those who aren't you know, aware basically in, in yesterday's match between Spurs and Manchester United, um, Edson Cavani appeared to give Manchester United a one nil lead sort of, I think around the 35th minute. Uh, but Son had been, had gone down clutching his face and rolling around sort of in the build up to the goal. And when it went, then went to review, decided that the decision was made that the goal would be disallowed because McTominay had fouled, Son in the buildup. As it turned out, as controversial as the moment may have been in the, you know, when it happened, it was insignificant because Manchester United went on to win 3 1 anyway. So it had no impact on the result. Um, but, and Manchester United con- continued their incredible run of coming from behind. So if anything, yeah. they're probably, they're probably happy about that. You know, I th- they've picked up I, I think 28 picking, points. Yeah. Which 28 is, points. I think it's 15 more than any other team has picked up from a losing position. Equally, uh, Bruno Fernandes continued his incredible run of never having lost away from home in the Premier League, which is now that stretches to 23 matches, which is kind of an incredible run in some respects for a team that's lost a decent number of matches in the period that he's been there. Considering there's European competition in there, Liverpool, Man City, there's some good games. Or do you just mean Premier League games? Yeah, yeah, specifically. Oh, okay. That, we have got still... to get we have got to get you checked out, Sam. <laughs> because for what? <laughs> the fact <laughs> I was like twenty-two Premier League matches without losing. You're like incredibly impressive, considering there's European matches in. There. Oh, I just hear every sixth word and then just kind of stitch together everything that's just been said. Okay, someone's having sorry. a case of the Mondays. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry, I'm going to the doctor tomorrow. I'll ask them. Yeah. Um, Too bad you don't remember to ask. (laughs) Yeah. As long as I remember going there. (laughs) Why am I? (laughs) Um, But yeah, no. uh, So my take on it, I I, I think in general people, and I'll be interested to hear what Sam says. And obviously Frank, you've got questions about it. 
the general reaction to it has been criticism of Son and criticism of VAR for a Son for what we'll call simulating uh, and making it seem as if he'd just been shot in the face and for VAR for disallowing a goal when it wasn't, most people have interpreted as not being a foul. My issue with it is um, I'm not too harsh on Son. He obviously made the most of being hit in the face. However, the way football is refereed at the moment, if you don't go down, you do not have a foul given. So if you are, we have fun, we've put footballers in a position where if they do feel contact, they need to go over. And to me, the criticism shouldn't be of Son. It should be that referees should ref- officiate the games differently so that a player never feels compelled. They don't have to make the most of the contact because a referee will see it. And re- like even VAR would not have disallowed the goal had Son simply kind of put his hand to his eye and tried to keep going. It would have it wouldn't have changed it. So the con the sort of significant the fact that he has gone over is important. Um, as for VAR, they fouls are regularly given for players hitting for hands or elbows striking players in the face. And if you're going to say that the, those fouls are given on a consistent basis, then the correct decision is to disallow this goal. In my opinion, now I'm not saying this is. I don't think that it should be a foul, but a consistent application or interpretation of the rules as they are, that's the right decision. Yeah, it looked to me as if Matomini kind of was expecting more of a sterner challenge from Son, which is kind of why you hold back or something it, like that. It looks like, because he initially brushes Son's arm. So and I Son think stops he expects well. to kind of have the force of Son's arm there. And then Son's arm gets kind of just like pushed out of the way. And then his hand flicks directly into his face. Mm. And I thought because Son's holding his face, I thought the ruling was that play should stop. Or is it just the fact that the ref and the lines no, the fourth official haven't seen it? Or? The referee uses his discretion. Um, discretion to choose when or not play, whether or not play needs to be stopped. Okay. So I guess the ultimate question that's coming from this is if it is a foul and Matomine was already booked, raising your hand like that, should it be a complete double whammy for Manu here? Goal disallowed and the sending off. That's the, bit I, that's the bit I don't get. So the explanation of this is, well, it was an accidental hand to the face. So it's not a booking. This is the explanation I've heard. What I don't understand is if it's a totally accidental hand to the face, it's not a foul. I mean, we've uh, they, either it was considered something that is outside the laws of the game, in which case it's dangerous play, which is why he's the foul is being, you know, and then he should be booked. If it had been considered an intentional blow to the face, it should be a red card. So to me, that's the line that should be there, in which case it's it basically felt a little bit like a cop out, which was like, well, we don't want to disallow the goal and send the player off because that's going to really make this controversial. So we'll just disallow the goal, give the foul, and then probably in the back of their minds think, fingers crossed Manchester United still win, so we don't get to talk about this for the next week. So if it was accidental and not a booking, I'm so confused, would the play have stopped normally? What do you mean? Because they're saying the goal is disallowed, so it, so was, think- it was a foul. It was a the foul. Ref- the ref didn't give the foul, did he? Or advantage? No, he 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 
saw it, but, and, and I think that's the other thing I don't, which I guess is the other area. And maybe this has changed. I don't think you can give a yellow card. I don't know if it's the, I don't know if you can for a second yellow, but I, under the original, uh, like VAR, you couldn't give a booking. It was either, it was foul or a red card. I don't think you could book a player for something you've reviewed. And so, but then I don't know if that then, I don't know if that still applies. A, a that second be- yellow to simulate to a red either. Yeah, I, guess, I don't be- know. So Frank, I, if I've got your question right, the referee saw it, didn't give anything because obviously he thought the challenge was fair and maybe it was just unfortunate. Play continued rather than like advantage or anything. Like, well, it would be advantage, but actually, no, it wouldn't be advantage, sorry. Um, play continued, goal was scored. He was then... This is another gray area that I don't understand is that he was then asked to go look at it. And that's sometimes what I don't get is the amount of times where things are much clearer and referees don't see it. And when referees are then referred to go see it and make some sort of judgment call on it or listen to the people in VAR central or whatever it is. So from my understanding, if it's cut and dried, they don't ask the referee to go and check if the person in the, uh, you know, in the booth thinks I have all of the information I need from this video. There's no inter there's no further interpretation needed. It is cut and dried. They can just tell the official what the decision should be. However, if there is any element of doubt since, which was already like in the European way, right. In a lot of European situations, the, they always go and look and then they make the final decision that with the Premier League, since all of the early season criticism, they switch to the mode now of if there's an element of doubt, the fifth official or whatever they are, then tells the the referee to go and watch it. So that's that's kind of how I understand the system to be now. So it makes sense that he went to look because basically the the VAR review has said we think it's a foul, but it's not your original decision and it's not totally, totally clear. So now you should go and judge. Okay, so then so then off of that, what was his official ruling then? That it was an accidental hand to the face that was a foul, but because it was accidental, no further action needed to be taken. But so, what you're saying is technically that's not a ruling that he should be allowed to make with a VAR call. I um, either it's no, he's it's, allowed it's a to booking make or ruling. it's not. No, he's allowed to make that ruling. He's just not allowed to make the action that would make sense for the foul. To me, uh, yeah, what the decision he's made, he he had the right to make. It's just to me more if you've decided that there was a foul that involved dangerous play, a hand to the face. At that moment in time, McTominay should, once you've made that decision, then be receiving his second yellow card and being sent off. So it was a little bit, he kind of went for the middle ground. And I'll say, I think the goal, when I saw it, when I was watching it and I saw it, I thought this goal is going to be disallowed. Like I didn't, it didn't come as a surprise to me that that's the decision the referee came to. Now, again, Son rolled around as if he'd been shot and then was perfectly fine and you know scored <laughs> and then scored his, his, his vision know, looked fine there <laughs> scored 5 minutes later or whatever it was 
you can you know you can be critical of Son for that, but unfortunately, we've we've kind of forced footballers to do this because if yeah. you don't do it, you don't get the foul. And yeah, no one's going to commentators say it all the time. Where it's like, oh, he's almost been too honest there, or yes. he's been too nice, and it's like. So what you're saying is they should have gone down or are you not saying that? Because yeah. you'll completely forget that. You won't be like, oh yeah, but what a good sport he was for staying and there's, up. And there's players who, like Michael Owen, for example, people routinely spoke about him in over the course of his career that he didn't go down easily and that there were plenty of times he was caught and clipped and didn't go down. And people then give him credit, like, oh, such an honest player. And it's like, yeah, it is honest, but... At the same time, if you're through on goal and you do get clipped and that stops you from scoring and the referee hasn't given a foul and even potentially say a red card or something simply because you haven't fallen over, not that people should be simulating things, but the smart things do is fall over. Like, Or, as I think, the referees should get better at saying it doesn't matter that he didn't fall over, you've clipped his heels or you've hit him in the face or you've done whatever, that's still a foul. Like, Yeah. Being dramatic is almost irrelevant if the foul has happened. And that's what it needs to be. It's like, yeah, he was dramatic. He's simulating, but it is a foul. What he's done after that isn't the point. Yeah. And you see it in a lot of sports, right? Like for our American listeners, if they think like LeBron James, who now flops as much as anyone, but there are lots of situations where because LeBron James is so big and so strong, he doesn't get fouls called that other players would because like on his way to the basket, he can kind of power through the contact that a smaller would have stopped a smaller player. And the argument is like, well, are you, is it only a foul based on outcome or is it a foul based on what actually happened? Because it's like, well, if LeBron James can just bulldoze through me attempting to pull his arms and still dunk it, it's not a foul. But if a smaller player tries to do it, it is one. Then we're, I guess that's fine, but again, then we need to be clear on the idea that it's an outcome-based decision. Yeah, that's fair, and and it happens with like I, I I've heard commentators like Gary Neville say this as well. It's like when central defenders are just bigger than a striker, they'll be like, oh, it isn't a foul because he's just more powerful and he's just kind of hit him or something like that. Whereas if it's the other way around, it's like he must have used a lot of power to bring that person down. It, for me, I don't actually have a problem with the disallowed goal, like you say, for the same reason. Like, the play continued because the referee at the time didn't think it was a foul. It was then, because of the doubt, was then referred upstairs or referred for the second look, of which the ref has gone, there's contact in the face, Son's gone down, therefore I've given the foul. The only ambiguity is what should happen as the punishment for that foul but not the, not the reason everyone else is screaming, which is about like the goal and things like that. I, yeah. I don't have too much of an issue with it, if I'm honest. The issue there isn't VAR. It's just basic refereeing and not the criticism of the referee in the moment. It's just, a, it's just what do we think a foul is? It's very, cons- again, like to me, the Son thing is very consistent with how that rule is applied week in, week out in the Premier League. And all the time, what people ask is, we don't need the decisions to be right. We just need them to be consistent. Like that's usually the thing people talk about officiating. And then in this moment, it's like a consistent application of the rule. It's like, yeah, but it's not right. So you can't, you can't pick and choose when you want the consistency. Not. Yeah. The, the only thing I will say is I do get the idea that VAR is ruining the kind of enjoyment of the moment in football. 
So a goal gets scored and now you just think, uh-oh, is it going to be um, ruled out? Mourinho's comment, right? You're scared to celebrate a goal now because yeah. you've got to wait. Um, yes. Which I get. I get that moment because you could be screaming up and down, enjoying yourself so much that you've just equalized or you've won a game late. And you're like, actually, do I just have to, from now on, wait 30 seconds to yeah. make sure that it has, which would almost be more tense. So, so that was, I guess, the other question I had is, do you think, because that was a lot of the feedback I saw was how VAR is kind of ruining the, the flow and just the feeling of, of the matches. Do you think that the officiating is kind of falling into the same trap that the NFL is falling into where they're not so concerned about making the correct call versus the let's just have things play on and then we can go back to VAR whenever we need to. I think they're being instructed to do that. Like let them play if you can. And then if a major incident. Now, do you think that's And I agree, but do you think that's a bad thing or because, you know, like people like Sam are saying, you know, now I can't, I have to sit on pins and needles before I celebrate because, you know, they're not making the right calls. They're just making the play on call. Yeah. Is that the right move or, or not in, in football? I don't like, I don't like the idea of going back for fouls in the buildup. I kind of feel like how, cause it, the question, the eternal question becomes like, how far back do you go? And, you know, is it, and then do you get annoyed if it's like, well, you can go back X number of phases of play or X number of passes. And it's like, well, there was a horrific foul one pass before, and now we're going to ignore this, or, you know, like, so to me, if, if I kind of got to make the decision, I would remove the concept of going back for fouls in the buildup. And I really just want it to be there for like to decide penalties, to decide red cards and to, for it to help with offside. And the rest of it, I don't care about. There will be mistakes and that's just the nature of sport. Because uh, I think American football, there's so much more stoppages, you know, even with like TV timeouts and everything like that, that it, it's, it's a, it's a sport made to have the VAR, you know, like the instant review built into it where it's not as much of an inconvenience, but it, you know, it, it, in a sport like that, it, it is such an inconvenience because you're just on a running flowing clock. And I get that there are still stoppages within the game, but for the most part, you, you know, it's, it's kind of just a 45 minute flow and yeah. it really does break up the game a lot when you have three or four VARs at a match. Yeah. And, and even there's also the difference, like even take rugby, which is kind of a middle ground almost in terms of the flow versus stoppages. But at least with rugby, like a try gets scored. There is the natural pause anyway, because then you had to set up to, to take the, you know, the, the point after and stuff like there's a, even if the try stands, there is, it's not instantaneous on the restart. And like, you, you also, I think most of the time in rugby will have a better sense of when something might have happened that needs to be reviewed. Whereas in football, sometimes we've had these moments where like, you don't even know, like mm-hmm. someone, like the, the, the VAR official has like flagged something and now it's being reviewed and suddenly a goal is disallowed where like when you were watching it, you weren't even aware of there being a potential issue. That's where it's really a killer. And it will be, you know, you talked about having to take that moment of pause to celebrate, like, I guess the most famous one in my mind kind of was like when Sterling scored against Spurs in the Champions League. And then they went back for the Aguero offside in the buildup. And like, obviously City had scored like this late goal to take them through to the Champions League final. And then, or semifinals came, 
yeah, I guess semifinals because they then played Ajax in the semis, right? So to take them through to the semifinals of Champions League and then like 45 seconds later, you've had a, a stadium erupt, 45 seconds they they disallowed and then obviously you've got a bunch of Spurs away fans going like, like yeah. twats. And like that's the, that's the like even the worst part of it is like when the fans are back, you, not, you then have the jeering from the opposition to like, you're idiots yeah. for celebrating. Because it happened anyway, didn't it? Even before all this, like when an offside for flag would go up for a disallowed, even the home away fans would start like um, having that kind of abuse. I I kind of agree. So going back to your question, Frank, I agree that play should can go through to its natural conclusion. But I also agree with Eddie that this kind of idea of how far back you go once that review starts is a bit dumb. I don't actually mind the idea of some sort of like red zone. Or like you kind of, when you enter a certain part, this is, I only thought about this in the last 10 minutes, so it is not materialized. <laughs> but I, can I don't mind the idea is like, if if a play has crossed like a certain line, let's just say like the edge of the penalty box or something like that, then would that count as like you're in the area where the play can then be flagged or something like that? But anything before it, no. And Flesh it out a bit more. Maybe you've got something there, but... It's really tough. And I think that's the challenge. There's no perfect solution here. Because if you say that you can't go back to disallow goals for fouls in the buildup, but then you can go back to look for penalties, then it does kind of favor attacking sides, right? If you're a defender, you're going to be pissed. It's like, this guy was all over me and he scored because of that. But And he got away with it. And then five minutes later, I'm all over him. I got away with it, but now you've gone back and given a penalty. So like this system only works to punish me. Now, I guess most people prefer attacking play. So favoring, if you're going to favor one way, and I think that's the issue with VAR is it's like, it's favored, it's favored. It's existed to disallow goals right now. It doesn't exist to kind of allow them. And maybe if they shift the balance in the other way where you suddenly feel like reviews are only coming to make something exciting happen rather than to remove excitement, it would be better. How was it, Frank? Did you like that? Was that better well, than thinking, offside? Yeah, it's way better than offside. <laughs> but the other thing I, I thought we'd have to address is Sun, the criticism of Sun. I mean, first you had... Roy Keane who slammed him and even from someone who doesn't ever see Roy Keane I even was aware of that and then you had um he was slammed by the managers right Roy Keane yeah you knew the moment you watched it that Roy Keane was going to have like that's just what Roy Keane does just don't worry about Roy Keane yeah. <laughs> like that'll always happen it doesn't matter what it would be i mean this if it is was where the he other shines. way around he probably would have screamed at metomony as well so but yeah again i get and the, the the issue too with sun is spurs as a team have a little bit of an issue with diving kane goes over easily delhi alley goes over easily belly in the past uh bail in the past belly, as well, belly in the past too belly belly in the past. <laughs> Uh, um, Lucas Mora goes over easily. Uh, you know, like they've got quite Lamella. They've got it runs through their team. Yeah. Oh, I don't think it's chronic in in Son's game. I will say, in the same way that it is a little bit chronic in uh, Kane's game. Put it this way: the thing is, all these people attacking him. If England are in the final of the European Championships this summer, and you know. 
the equivalent of Son on the England team. I was going to say, are they playing South Korea? <laughs> Phil Foden, you know, gets hit in the face in the build-up to a goal for France, and he goes down clutching his face, rolls over 92 times, and then they go back and disallow the goal. You're not going to get anyone in the English media saying, Phil Foden wasn't right to do it, though. And some of them might say, I don't like it, but you should do it. Like that's the that's the most you're going to get. It's kind of the most annoying thing about commentators, right? <laughs> they just kind of pander to whatever situation it's in. Do you think the opposing manager would still say, if that was my son and he stays down and needs his mates to help him up, he doesn't get food because that's embarrassing? <laughs> yeah, that's a strange one from such a timid guy. <laughs> yeah. Like, I would starve him because of what he's just done. Do you think he got confused with the son son comment? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, now those are harsh words. And and I don't like that degree of harshness from a manager just because it isn't encouraging your supporters to be absolute morons. So you are like, you're like fanning the flames a little bit with that. Someone like Roy Keane doing it, again, as we said, he's always going to do it. And Roy Keane is the one guy, the one thing you can at least defend Roy Keane for, although he doesn't apply the same little level of criticism necessarily to his own career, he, you know that he would be equally, if that had been a Manchester United player, he would have ripped into them just as much. Like there's elements of the game that he doesn't like, and he's always going to go after them. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think an opposing manager needs to be that. And it, yeah. also let's not forget like, Solskjaer has to be careful because there's every chance in the Europa League semi-final or final a Manchester United player is going to make a meal out of something yeah. and is he going to come out and say well Paul Pogba is not getting food on the plane ride home like <laughs> what the one and a half hour plane ride home was no, who knows where no, 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 the... that was going to that was going to be my exact point is that he's just opening himself up to the inevitable comment of hypocrisy because that's all that'll happen. Everything he says is going to be publicly available after every match, pre post, whatever. And that's all he's doing is it's just going to get to that point where he's like, well, you said this at Spurs. So what's going to happen? And he'll probably say, Oh, it's different. Oh, you know, referees have got such a tough job, you know, say all the generic stuff. And it will just come across as like, why listen to them? You just know they're going to pander to the moment. I can really picture like a cheeky British reporter if there's a big fall after the match. Just his question being, so no no dinner for Pogba tonight? Or what's going on there? <laughs> you know, like yeah. just like setting him up so bad for it. <laughs> did, I don't know if this has been confirmed, but speaking of like cheeky comments like that, did you see um, like the BBC put out about Prince Andrew's interview about Prince Philip um, passing away? And apparently the FBI commented going, oh, he's doing interviews now, is he? <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. But yeah, it's that kind of thing. Yeah. No, he's, you know, he will be royally hoisted by his own petard based on his comments. And I'm sure if with a, only a tiny bit of digging, you could look back through the last five or six Manchester United games and find some equivalent level of behavior from Manchester United player. Even in that match, two Manchester United players went down holding their faces after uh, you know, minimal contact. Bruno Fernandes went down as if his leg had been chopped out, chopped off because a Spurs player had lightly tapped his foot. I mean, there's it's what footballers do. Um, and Roy Keane actually said that too. He had said 
that he's not solely picking on Sun because I, I might have been actually been that that play. He said so and so had done it for for Manchester like ten minutes before. You know, he was kind of just making a general comment on on the flops overall. Yeah, which admittedly was not Roy Keane style. So at least he's consistent there. He was not a player to go down easily. He and and also I think players rarely dived when dealing with Roy Keane because if you went down after Roy Keane touched you, you you probably stayed down. So because you're unconscious. Yes, I, I mean also- ironic. Ironically, right, Roy Keane. The whole reason he went a- after Alfinger Holland was because. Roy Keane had been seriously injured and Holland had thought that he had was feigning injury. That has, that's what spurred the level of violence that then came out of Roy Keane later on. So I guess he can say he speaks from a level of experience having, I think he did his ACL or something and Holland thought he was faking it. And then subsequently Roy Keane was intent on, and I know Jake, who is a listener will point out Holland's career was not ended immediately after the injury and that it sort of took 18 months later until he retired. But fundamentally, it was that moment that brought his career to an end. It was also the intent. <laughs> it was the intent yes. to end it. And then stood above <laughs> stood above him, swearing at him and abusing him after he'd just blown his knee out. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the Birmingham player that did that once. Do you remember when Eduardo for Arsenal had that really nasty break? And the other guy was almost like trying to pick him up for like a couple of seconds. It was well, the player who, the player I think who broke Edwarder's leg, I think was a player called Taylor. Um, I believe ex Blackburn player uh, who went by the nickname tiny because he was gigantic. So I think. um, Super original. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think it was Taylor who, and Blackburn have had a fair share of, I mean, Lucas Neal, broke uh Jibril Cisse's leg twice so <laughs> um yeah I saw a amazing clickbait today it was uh so this is just the head this is really random but it's just the headline it was Texans cut Watson and then like underneath in smaller letters it's from intro of in-house tv show <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That was really funny. I yeah. wrote that down. Well, that person that <laughs> almost that got me. Almost yeah. got me. It's amazing how often it works. You just know what they're doing. You know exactly what's going on, yet you're still somewhat compelled. Oh, and and the worst part too, right? Sometimes every once in a while you'll click on the, you know, 12 examples of this and like number seven will surprise you and you start and it's one of those really painful slideshows that's like full of ad like just like every click it takes like 17 clicks to move to the next slide but then there's that moment where you're like i've committed to this like i have to (laughs) if i just if i just the f is number seven (laughs) it's gonna blow my mind (laughs) yeah i understand that in the process all these pop-ups have probably like filled my laptop with viruses and like my credit card is now being used in some foreign country as i speak but number seven is going to be worth it and the sad part is it rarely is but every once in a while yeah you get that you get that one that one clickbait where you're surprised at number seven i do enjoy the clickbait though where if it's on like a facebook or something that people will post in the comment section to spoil it for you so you don't have to waste your time now that is a nice person that's a person who went through it, was super frustrated, and was like, 
I'm so nice. I'm not going to let someone else suffer because I would just let someone else suffer through what I did. You get it too, right? With a YouTube video where someone will be like, there's the, like the spoiler in the title of the YouTube video yeah. and everyone has clicked on it to see a particular moment. Like Roy, v Roy Keane reveals what he really thinks about Son. And then like the first 17 minutes are just Roy Keane talking about some random topic. And then someone's gone to the comment section and been like, 1737 yeah <laughs> and then you like click on that and you go it's like this is what we all came for and that again those are like the silent heroes of the internet i never do it <laughs> no <laughs> those i would are... never do it the, <laughs> they are pioneers they are pioneers of our time just, what a nice person i mean you're right like the person has gone like i've wasted my time i don't want anyone else to waste theirs here's all the information you need and then it's whereas i'm like i just wasted my time at least another million people are going to waste theirs too yeah, exactly. You want people to, to, to suffer in your suffering. Maybe I'll go, yeah. I'll even go reverse. I'll start doing it, but putting the wrong timestamp in YouTube videos so that people go to something that's not what they came for. Put it like three seconds after what they say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they'll never get it. <laughs> now you got to go back. I mean, you could be one of those losers who just puts like 420 all the time as the timestamp, but. I'm going to be one of them. Or you could be the person head. who just says first on their comments. Yeah. Now, who is that person? We're talking about the, the people who, who do the spoilers. They're the heroes. Who's the person who comments on someone's photo and just says first? Uh, I mean, someone who one clicks. Someone the original boring. thing, the, the interesting thing would be like, who really started it? Because now a lot of people do it ironically, right? And they'll do it even as like the 957th comment. They're like, first, <laughs> I got them. But uh, now I will say our YouTube channel, which if anyone out there listening, as we've spoken about before, is not actually subscribed to our YouTube channel, which is most of our listeners, because I can see our subscriber count. And I also know how many people listen. And the overwhelming majority of people listening have never visited our YouTube channel. But we had the mild honor, I would say, as a sign that our very fledgling YouTube channel is beginning to grow because we got our first spam comment the other day. And that is a sign. Spam? Oh, what was yeah. it? <laughs> uh, it was just a timestamp and then vom.life. Go reach out you... and see if they want to sponsor our podcast. <laughs> Have you oh, been on vom.life? <laughs> Stafford Gearing, if you're out there. Uh, you can sponsor us. Have you we been to spam them? No, it is a it's a kind of spam you do see on a lot of YouTube videos. Um, it won't be a particular Sam by all means go and click it, but it won't be something that I'll be investigating. But uh, it is it is something that I see. And having managed previous YouTube channels that obviously been bigger than what we currently have, you do get that exact comment or variations of it a lot. Um, but it's it's a you know it's one of those little mini milestones for us that we've become significant enough with our YouTube channel on the internet that we get spam. I'm dead proud. Yeah, but again, if you are listening and haven't watched, go and subscribe to our YouTube channel because actually some of our content. I guess the real reason we should encourage people to go there. Some of our content that doesn't make it to the podcast does make it to the video channel. So, for example, our grand national tips did not get into the pod audio version of the podcast, but they were there in the video version. 
So there is a chance that you'll be missing out on some incredible content by not being, not following us in every yeah. possible location. So something you would have missed out on was us reminding you not to bet on Manila celebration. Exactly. Who was the first one out, I think, or it was like the first three that was out was yeah. Manila celebration. And I laughed. I will also say style. Don't pick the field. We told you not to back that horse. <laughs> yes, exactly. What a win. I will say when Manila celebration did go out early on, I had to do the mental check in my life as to like, in my mind, like that's the bad Manila, right? Like I did have that still quick moment where I just oh, had to That would have been verify. so good if you looked at your bets and you had done that. <laughs> I should have combined it to win with Manila celebration to fall. Now that would have been the bet. Nice bet. Yeah. Not that you can do that bet, but if I, some weird bookie out there would have taken it, would have been great. The only other thing I had was the chicken sandwich war update that I gave to you guys, but I did not reveal to the podcast is um, one of my friends who I've mentioned previously had give us, given us a pretty good rundown of his chicken sandwich ratings messaged me out of the blue and said, I just tried the McDonald's spicy chicken sandwich. It fucking sucks. <laughs> I then asked him to clarify. And he said, the chicken was all right. The sauce was awful. Bread was kind of ass too. <laughs> how, how bad could the, how bad could the McDonald's bread be? Like, I feel like McDonald's bread is kind of like, it is what it is. But I think maybe that's what makes the Popeye's chicken sandwich so good is it's on this really nice brioche roll. Yeah, no, it's true. A good roll can make a sandwich like it can elevate you to another level. But uh, like I don't order a McChicken and go this garbage bun like without this bun. <laughs> Be interesting actually to take to empty like next time I buy a McChicken, take it out of then like stick the middle part into like a really nice bun and see if it radically changes my experience. <laughs> well, this, what is just, this is just all leading up to, to a U.S. big chill podcast visit slash live stream chicken sandwich <laughs> wars episode. The thing is to do that. We'd also have to do a mini tour of the U S because not all of the locations we're talking, they're all about here, here in Tucson. Really? I have everyone in Tucson. Yeah. Oh, wow. UNESCO Popeyes. heritage site. Oh yeah. Popeyes. So I forgot. Yeah. I forgot it's a UNESCO <laughs> food heritage site. First, first gastronomic, uh, gastronomy site yeah. of UNESCO. Now I know why. Yeah. Yeah. We have all the principles, Chick-fil-A, KFC, Popeyes, Wendy's, McDonald's, Burger King. I'm in. Yeah. Now, we'll Sam, we talk about this every time, but how much of the sandwich do you have to eat? You have to eat the whole thing. All the of whole it. thing. Yeah. You're gonna eat yeah. six chicken sandwiches in one sitting. Wait, that doesn't why sound do I like much? Wait, and hey. why in one sitting? Oh, why, I thought we were like going to one, then take. Yeah, well, yeah, you have to, to like go, go to go one, to then go to the other, then go to. Not the, the other. same day, though. I could eat six sandwiches over the course. Oh of no, three. you have to go same day. Well, no, because that's wait. Then the Do bias I have to would buy just... them all and line them up in a way, <laughs> or can I like have one? Maybe go, we ask the viewers now. Let's drive to the next one. Now, you in my mind, you've got to do separate them by a few hours so that you've like digest, like you're not full when you eat a second one. Equally, I think you have to come to the agreement that you eat them like 
in store for each one so that there can even be no like, oh, this one got cold or anything like that. Like you have to give the true experience of each one. Packaging and atmosphere matter. You know, I, I want to I want to assess the packaging of the product because it matters, right? The way it's presented matters. Thing if is, it comes though, out Sam, and it's all collapsed. It's the, one, the one is, I don't think they'll let Sam into a Chick Fil A. <laughs> oh boy, here we go. Well, they are, Sam, it's, hint: they're closed on Sundays. <laughs> yeah, and they don't like gay people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think he got the hint. <laughs> Just making sure. I was, but yeah, no, um, no, I think I don't that's, know how you're expecting that to be identified. Like I would walk in with confetti or something know. like that. They'll know. Chick-fil-A has invested heavily into advanced Chick- gaydar. Chick-fil-A knows. Chick-fil-A they watched knows. the office episode where they got it from sharper image. Exactly. Yeah. They scan you. <laughs> now, actually one final thing before we then go, I did for whatever reason, I watched a, uh, um, what's the guy? The name of the guy, Brand Russell Brand. Uh, I watched a mm. somehow was suggested a Russell Brand video about uh, vaccination passports uh, today. How on earth that made it to my YouTube suggested viewing? I have no idea. Um, and are you a Russell just, Brand fan or hater? No, hater. Uh, I'll say this, not a hater. I don't actually hate him. I think he is overrated as an actor and as a comedian and also overrated now as like a thinker. So like every part of his career, I think has been mildly annoying. And certainly now that he's some weird spiritual advisor to masses of people, I don't get it at all. Cause it's like, this is the guy who used to do like a ton of drugs and fuck a ton of women. Right. And just like, was a total mess, but now suddenly he's found some spiritual enlightenment. So sits cross-legged and tells you not yeah. to take life seriously when he's already a millionaire. Sign me up. And he, bring, and he brings up complicated words a lot. He's like, oh, Nietzschean economics. And you're like, yes. oh my God, this guy knows stuff. And you're like, yes. no, he doesn't. Yeah, that's really good. <laughs> he does do that. Yeah. And the words that make no sense. It's combinations of like difficult to comprehend words. That the quantification of the emancipation of the, and you're just like, great you're just stringing big words well done yeah, yeah no 100 percent. and and so he, but he's deep into the conspiracy theory of like the vaccination passport is just one step towards the government like big brother and the government watching everything that we do and that the fact that we're involving big tech into the process is even more dangerous because then we're allowing them to decide whether or not we should what we should do with our bodies Part of me, when I hear this, are these people aware that you are required, for example, to take certain vaccinations to attend schools and that you have to go with a medical proof that you've had these vaccinations already and that to enter certain countries, you have to have what is fundamentally a vaccination passport that you show them upon entry? Like People are treating this as if we're entering into a stage of society that we've not been in for quite a long time. When I started university, I had to take them a, in order to attend university, I had to go with proof of vaccinations. And if you didn't have them, they vaccinated you there and then. Yeah, uh, same for me. And in fact, I'm still going through it. Like I, 
I apparently didn't have one, one of my vaccinations and they're like forcing me through the university to get this vaccination. I could only ignore so many emails before they start calling my office and be like, you got to get this vaccination. And so that's, yeah, it's true. It's so true. I mean, but don't worry, you won't have to do that anymore because once you got that Amazon chip in your arm, it, you're, you're, you know, you'll, they'll, they'll just come straight to your house and inject you while you sleep. But like, I will say as an adult, I've definitely lapsed on probably some of my vaccines. That bit, I will say, like, I haven't had, apart from trips that I've gone on when I've got very specific ones, I haven't had a va- any other vaccination in the last 15 years. So I've got to be susceptible to something that I wasn't when I was 10. Tetanus, at least. Yeah. And I regularly that's, just that's go every and rub, other year. <laughs> I just regularly go and rub myself up against rusty blades. So... <laughs> one way of saying it <laughs> yeah i haven't really thought about that you know because you get so many jabs as a, a youngster right measles mumps rubella like all of them and then you're like oh done i think but- i've just flipped into kurt cousins mode now and like if i die i die like i've just accepted that tetanus is out there like lockjaw is an inevitable <laughs> risk that my life i'll just be yellow unable to speak on the ground and i'll just go it was worth it guys i was going to say polio but polio is like a permanent thing it's not right the vaccine. i think not the disease a, i know the disease is also permanent yeah um yeah polio I, that's the other thing is in my mind i treat all of them as being permanent but they're not but uh yeah the lighter side of vaccines. That's well, now that uh, I think <laughs> Frank's gone into some kind of Russell Brand-like trance, so I guess that's that's it for the for the week. Well, for I was day. just seeing if I had anything else on my list worth mentioning. The only thing I did have is that Trevor Lawrence got married this weekend. I know you've already expressed, you've already told us that you thought that was a mistake. Well, I mean, is it a mistake? Do you think being the number one pick in the NFL, going to live down in Florida, would it be fun to be single or would it be more of a hassle now with the constant media attention? Well, he may have met someone he wants to spend the rest of his life. No, I know. You're questioning love. I know. I get that. (laughs) I'm saying, do you think it's, do you think it would be fun? Okay. If you were single. To be an athlete and single and be the number one draft pick. Okay. Hmm. I or is it almost be, too much of a hassle now? I think you'd be happy to not have to worry about like the potential scandal. Like the, you know, like the Julian Edelman moment where that girl like filmed herself waking up next to him in the morning. <laughs> like you've not necessarily done anything wrong. You've just lived in like normal single life, but it's going to be like, you can't have a Tinder account, right? Like you can't be the number one and, and like just be swiping through people. You can't. Like you'd have, and then how are you going to meet people? Like if you're a quarterback, oh, that's a well, way, I'm sure. surely. Didn't I, we I talk mean, about like those rich people sex parties a few episodes yeah, ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of like well, an eyes wide shut style party. He, he probably doesn't know Vasilis, so like, but <laughs> oh, shout out to Vasilis's birthday today! Oh, yeah, happy oh, birthday! Yeah, happy guys. birthday! <laughs> yeah. Who knows what he's up to? But uh, the. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know how you go about everything about the dating world would seem like a risk. 
So in some ways, even though you would feel like, wow, I'll never be more, my stock will never be higher. The, at the same time, I don't know if you'd want to go through the hassle. Do you not feel like the scandals of a single person are probably worse, uh, sorry, probably easier or better than the scandals of a married person? Because obviously with the kind of religious aspects in the US and sure, do you not I'm, think that? Yeah, but I'm not saying if it's not like he has to go and sleep with a number of women now that he's the number one pick in the draft. And like, it's going to be worse now that he's married. Like, you're right. Yes. If he is planning on taking advantage of this new level of stardom, then he should not have got married. But, but that's think, what I'm saying is I don't think you could even take advantage of it anymore. No, no, I agree with you. I, I think you're, I think you're basically right. Like people are going to be following him. It would just be too scary to think of like someone videotaping you or filming you at any moment. Like you'd be constantly worried about it being a setup. You'd also be worried that someone was interested in you for just the like wrong reasons. Like assume you then had legitimate feelings for someone and they are only interested in you to like, so they get Instagram followers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll sleep with Trevor Lawrence if this podcast gets an extra 2 million listeners. So appreciate it. And it's like everything, everything is under a microscope. Like um, Henry Cavill the other day, who has been a very private person for the most part, posted up a random picture with his girlfriend that, you know, no one ever knew was his girlfriend. And within a day, the entire uh, internet was just flooded with like, who is this girl? And people were going back to like, oh, she was actually in a My Sweet 16 episode on MTV. You know, like people just digging into this girl's life in a matter of hours. You know, like that's what's going to happen if if you're like him, someone that famous. Yeah, I remember um, seeing an interview not long ago from, it was like Brad Pitt at the Oscars or something. And he was speaking, the interviewer was some, I think she was Australian and she'd obviously previously interviewed him and was saying like, oh, like everyone has great chemistry with you. And uh, even after I interviewed the first time, people commented like how good our chemistry was and stuff. And then a cert- and then she asked him if he'd brought a date. And he was like, no. And then she said, well, and somehow his prom came up. And he was like, did you ever, like, do you remember who you went to prom with? And he said, yes. And she was like, oh, what's, well, like, what's her Instagram? And then it was like, I'm not going to do that to that person. Like she has her own life. Like, I am, <laughs> like he's like, I know her name, but I'm not going to ruin her life by saying it now on an interview where and it was just like, you don't think about that, but a little slip there. Like if he just said her name, yeah, her life is a mess for a couple of weeks. Yeah. She goes viral. Yeah. In, it, yeah. She was probably sitting at home, saw the interview, and was like, "That bastard! I just released a new, a new yeah. like startup company. This would have launched me." Yeah. <laughs> Every year, I start a new company around the Oscars, and I pay one reporter to say to him, "Who did you take to prom, Brad?" <laughs> And every and year, every year he doesn't bite. He's too much of a gentleman, and he won't <laughs> say my fucking name. <laughs> Fuck you, Brad. <laughs> All right, well, on that note, I think we finish up. Yep. Talk to you boys later. (laughs) See ya. Okay, cheerio.